Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Hey guys, it's through the support that you guys are doing with our sponsor, Uncana. By using our code mentors the number four mil on cana.com and as well as our patrons on our Patreon site, such as you know Quentin Cook, who is a brand new patron, both of those means are the ways in which we can bring you this great content and these guests each and every week. So thank you guys who are doing that. Not only that, but I wanted to give a big shout out and thank everybody who listens to our show on a weekly basis and is spreading the word out there. Within the last six months alone, we've been in the top 10 in our category in Apple Podcasts. And considering that that's only one of our many platforms, that's pretty tremendous. And uh, we can't thank you guys enough for helping spread the word about our program. Uh, Keep doing that and uh, we'll keep trying to bring you great content each week. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. First off, welcome to the Mentors for Military podcast. What I thought I might do is go down to each of your past history and allow you the opportunity to share a little bit about what you did either through your military career, um, your civilian career, if that's the case, or maybe it's the case of, you know, like you, Byron, it's both. You know, what you're what you did in the past versus what you're doing now. Um, and I think that also will give the uh, the audience an opportunity to learn a little bit about your voice and how it connects with, you know, who's who's speaking and all that kind of good stuff. I don't know who wants to go first. <laughs> yeah, Aaron's I'll, way I'll, cooler than me. So, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so I'll kind of I'll give you a bit about my background and then kind of uh, how the group came together and kind of where we're at. So, um, so yeah, so my background uh did undergrad in Texas at, uh, at Rice, um, focused on like econ poli sci, um, pretty much went right into defense contracting work. And this was after having done uh, some short gigs with the State Department, like I said before, in the Arms Control Bureau. But that was pretty minor. So then, uh, like I said, went right into uh, defense contracting work and focused on Middle East uh, issues or affairs, whatever you want to call it. Um, did that for a little bit, then went to Georgetown for the uh, Foreign Service uh, Graduate School and got a graduate degree in intelligence. Uh, continued to focus on um, kind of counterterrorism and intelligence efforts in the Middle East. Um, really kept that as a focus. Um, 
<clears throat> and then the Arab Spring more or less kicked off. And um, after having spent some time uh, over there, just the, I think the biggest thing that struck me was um, security and kind of the being on the pointy end of things and that uh, attempts at shaping the region through those measures um, had some, you know, limited success and, you know, their valid efforts. Um, but what I saw as being maybe much more effective was, let's say there was a bombing or a shooting and you could treat, you know, injured, you know, injured, injured locals, injured people, injured personnel. Um, and let's say you treated someone's mother or their daughter or their kid or something. Suddenly you got loyalty and you got, uh, you know, mm. a real, an actual uh, following from the local population. And I know everyone hates the whole hearts and minds concepts and, and whatnot, but that was kind of that really in action and so I remember thinking, all right, so that might be a way to actually shape things here in the region. And at the same time, what he saw from, um, you know, international aid groups was more or less efforts where they came and would dump supplies and leave, or they would come, maybe do EMT level care and leave, uh, or maybe nursing level care and leave. And no offense to, you know, EMTs or nurses, but at the end of the day, it's not, it's not you know, high level, um, you know, physician or surgeon level care. And at the same time, there are legitimate groups that do go out and do, do some surgeries. Um, you know, one example is Operation Smile. They do cleft palate surgeries, and that's valid, like great work, valid stuff by, you know, actual board-certified folks. Um, but even there at the end of the day, all right, so they did a couple surgeries and they leave. Um, and it's kind of like, what is the lasting effect on the population? So mm -hmm. a big thing for me was we could do better um, with higher quality folks and have a longer lasting impact. So... That was kind of when I had the shift to, all right, I should go into medicine. So I came back to the U.S., um, did some work with the uh, Fairfax County Fire Department um, as a volunteer medic um, with them. Um, and that was kind of my, all right, do I like medicine or not? Uh, and I really did. It was, you know, the adrenaline rush that I was getting when I was doing work prior and I was helping people. And basically my kind of kick up to the next level was really out of spite and through an argument. Um, so basically every time I was dropping a patient off at the hospital, I was always asking the doctors, you know, like, what could I do differently? Or what's the, what's the treatment algorithm for something out in the field? Like, what, what could I do better and differently? And at one point, one of the doctors said, dude, you're annoying the shit out of me. Just apply to med school and figure it out. I don't want to explain this anymore. <laughs> I love it. So, so I was like, awesome. all right, all right, I, I will. So I went back to Georgetown and I uh, went to med school there. Um, and basically once I got into med school there, I had this network of physicians. I had all my old security networks in the Middle East and I said, all right, let's, let's mash this all together. And that's when the group started. So back in 2014, it was like conceptually being brought together in 2015. It officially came together as a 501c3 nonprofit. And really what we started out doing was bringing physicians, um, over to Iraq and to provide care. And we basically filled in in a lot of clinics where groups, uh, you know, like let's say the UN or Doctors Without Borders just couldn't get staffing to go, whether it's for security reasons or, you know, for staffing shortage or whatever it was. They just didn't have people in these facilities. So we started staffing it. And suddenly we saw this huge impact where, like I said before, most, if not all, A groups were sending out, you know, nurses or medics. Um, suddenly the local populations realized that they were bringing doctors. So, you know, we'd have refugee camps literally empty out to be seen by our doctors and we're like, all right, holy shit, this is a huge impact. So, um, so we continued that the, 
at the same time, ISIS at this point was expanding, you know, their uh, presence pushing into Iraq. Um, and at the same time, there was the need by uh, our Kurdish uh, militia contacts and the guys I knew within the Peshmerga to get the military medical support. So that's when I started reaching out to guys I knew within the special operations community to really do the, you know, the frontline stuff. So at that point, we were really bringing everything from, you know, former 18 Delta guys and medics and whatnot, uh, 68 whiskeys, the Sarks, whatnot, um, to do frontline uh, care and action and training all the way up to, you know, primary care and cardiothoracic surgery, everything, you know, full spectrum medicine, and kind of like I said before, the thrust from the beginning was training because I viewed that as really uh, the way you're going to create long-lasting, you know, effects on the ground. Is and it's essentially you know the special forces model. It's you know train local, host nationals. Um, and so if you look at what we do now, it's everything we do is focused on training uh, host nation, host nationals, and local medical professionals. Um, so yeah, so at this point, the group has more or less scaled up from when we started in 2015 officially to being now made up of about 200 uh, U.S. licensed physicians. Um, we cover every single specialty um, and about 800 military veterans who are, you know, like Byron guys or like Nikki, uh, you know, specialists within their profession um, up the entire, you know, allied healthcare professional chain. So whether it's medics, nurses, PAs, CRNAs, you name it, we have it. Um, yeah, and then let's see, in terms of, uh, you know, I guess the highlights and the notables, <clears throat> um, we're the only nonprofit you know, humanitarian group in history to have saved U.S. personal lives in an active combat theater with our own trauma surgery teams. Um, we can put everything up to roll three, some, you know, theoretically even a roll four capable team out in the field because we can put all surgical specialties out there. Um, we have sent 14 teams to, or we're going to, one coming up will have been our 14th team to Iraq. We've sent teams to do, uh, smaller teams to do work within Africa, within Africa. Um, we have also trained the equivalent of JSOC and JMAL units uh, with European host uh, partners. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like what we're up to. I mean, that's kind of the real brief blast on everything. And, you know, we wow. got these like superstars like Nikki involved now and Byron, you know, studs like him. Mostly, honestly, for looks. I don't know what the fuck these guys are good for otherwise. But uh, no, no, I'm just he's got no, the beard going on. Yeah, he's actually. Uh, yeah. He's supposed to be my. Is he, is, I don't know if you look close enough. He's supposed to be my body double, but I guess I gotta put on some more weight or something, <laughs> work out more. You gotta get, gotta get some of those. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but yeah. I mean, that's that's really the gist of everything. But you know, these guys can tell you more about you know what it means from the medical perspective or from the you know veteran standpoint. You know, I'll let them kind of go on from here. Byron, I want to get into your past because I know you have a little bit of special forces. So I want to go back into the very beginning. Did you come in as an uh, 18 X-ray or did you come in mm -hmm. from the conventional army and then roll into SFAS? I, I, well, actually what, how that worked for me was, um, I was in third ranger battalion most of my military career. Oh, Fort Benning. Um, yep. Yeah, Fort Benning. I came in, I enlisted, uh, went to Korea. Uh, I enlisted, uh, with a uh, ranger contract, but, uh, the it was called rip at the time. It's mm -hmm. now called RASP. Uh, they were full. So I went off to Korea, uh, went right out of high school and then, um, basically got into, uh, 
volunteered to go to an airborne school to rip. And it was, the rest was history. I stayed there until about 2007 and then uh, went to the uh, army, one of the Army freefall teams for uh, uh, about two years. And then I went on to uh, cooler units in the Army uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, spent time doing that, got out and started defense contracting for a little while. I was lost. Wanted to, didn't really want to do the the gunslinging thing anymore. And uh, I'm your typical veteran, you know. If you don't leave the military with a DD-214 crappy credit and at least one divorce, you know, you're you're not a real veteran. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was definitely your. I, I I was. I'm always taking things to the next level. So I was like, not only did I have one, but I had two. So I, you know. <laughs> And I was feeling pretty crappy about it. You know, I always got to one up everybody else. Right. So, you know, even in my, my horrible personal life, but, uh, so I, uh, I really, I was actually super down. I didn't really have, um, like the direction that I wanted. I was, uh, suffering serious depression, um, separation anxiety from the military. You go from being this guy that's, you're at the tip of the spear you know, involved in literally in missions that are in books now. Um, and you're like, yeah, there's my picture in this book. Uh, there's this, there's that. And it's, it was so depressing to, to be, to be that way. And, uh, I had a really bad marriage and I ended up, uh, attempting suicide. Mm. Uh, and I was like, cause I just, you know, it was just going through all that stuff. It was just terrible. And, uh, my buddy, I walked into, uh, uh, actually Aaron has met him. He went on the last trip. Uh, but one of my best friends, uh, was sitting in a Starbucks and he was in nursing school. And I basically was like, Oh, you guys studying for your paramedic. Um, you know, and when the army was short, um, on medics, they sent a bunch of, uh, you know, soft guys, uh, to EMT school and then went to a, uh, basically a, it was like a condensed version of Stockholm and, uh, the special operations medical course. And, uh, I attended that and I really fell in love with emergency medicine, but, you know, always settled myself short, uh, either because of my, you know, getting out, never really wanted to get into it. Didn't think I was smart enough, whatever. And I ended up going to school, started to go to school for, uh, for nursing. I ended up going to the VA. They had a practitioner program for nurse practitioning and I scored, um, top 10 in the nation. Uh, and they said, we'll pay for all of it. Um, so I went off and did, started to do that. Uh, and that was right after, uh, my attempt. And I was like, you know, I really, this isn't, again, I'm, I'm still kind of, I don't like this clinical stuff. I really like the, um, I miss, I miss the, the T triple C, the, you know, the tactical combat casualty care. And I miss teaching and all this stuff. And lo and behold, I had an email, uh, pop up about GSMSG and, uh, actually it was Nikki's, uh, picture was on it. Of course it was Nikki. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nick, Nikki was repelling. They had the shirts and I was like, man, this looks, this looks so cool. <laughs> The shirt and or the, repe like, the repelling? Which part? I, I, uh, <laughs> repelling is repelling, you know. <laughs> so, and I, I applied and I actually got a phone call from Aaron and he interviewed me and I was I was all on board. And um, a couple weeks later, um, we had the hurricane that hit Panama City. 
And um, I started doing a ton of work with that. And we and GSMSG brought in assets and I was able to acquire almost $3.5 million worth of relief effort into Panama City. And we were literally um, the first people to set foot in Panama City. Uh, we, it's actually funny. We had a standoff with a cop. And the cop was like, no, I'm not letting you in. And the cop's like, I'm, I'm coming in. And my partner and I were like laughing. I'm like, no, no, there's people that need help and we got to get in there. And uh, he's like, finally, he he uh, he kind of bowed up. I bowed up and I said, I'm coming in whether you want me or not. And he's like, that's so cool. All right, come on, man. You're not going to find anything. Everything's level. There's no addresses. There's no nothing. You're not going to find anything. And uh, the next morning, there was um, a bunch of news crews where we had parked because we couldn't. We had to go in on foot at that point, and uh, had a kid in one arm, had my empty rucksack that had all the eight that did have water in it. And this guy's like, "Holy crap! You found the guy you were looking for." And I said, "Yeah." And and I was like, "You, you never tell a ranger he can't do something because he'll show you that he can." Because we had a ten-digit grid. And we found he was actually in an adjacent house that hadn't collapsed. Um, and then after that, the news media really started jumping all over the place and uh, wanted to find out what GSMSG was all about. Shortly thereafter, uh, Aaron offered me the position as the director of forward deployed operations for GSMSG. And I jumped all over it and it pretty much became my life uh, after that. <laughs> so um, from from a soft veteran uh, that was malingering through life, I guess, trying to find that purpose again, trying yeah. to find that that belonging, that uh, tribe. That yeah, that tribe exactly. Mm-hmm. That tribe, that thing that makes you feel important again. Right. That you had when you were. I mean, there's there's nothing greater than being in soft and you're you're gearing up and you're putting on all the gear and you hear the rip and it's like you, you, you live in that like movie reel constantly. And, and then it's just over. It's like movie ends and you're like, Holy crap. That like, wh- what do I do now? And then you kind of jump from thing to thing to thing. And then you go to defense contracting and Aaron can attest to this. It's like every man for himself, mm-hmm. the brotherhood's not there. It's just, it's cutthroat and I didn't like it. And, uh, I got here and with GSMSG and we went out on that trip and you, I mean, these people, you know, want nothing more than freedom. They, they want nothing more to be able to live in peace. They want the same things that us as Americans want. They just happen to live in a, uh, part of the country, uh, the world, that is at war right i mean it's only by the grace of god and our our soldiers that we're not in that position ourselves and um and for me to be able to be honored enough to go out and bring medical aid and training to those who would otherwise never get it um is, is just a tremendous honor and brings that purpose back into not only my life, but other veterans as well. Like Nikki, uh, who's, you know, just retired. Um, and then other 18 series guys that, you know, who were, um, you know, they just, 
eight, I mean, our 18 deltas that we have right now are just second to none. I mean, their, their professionalism and their training and their ability to, to, um, bring that a in a, you know, and train that role two and that role three, um, in that environment and just seamlessly transition into something and, and volunteer on our trips is just outstanding. And it's, it's an honor to be able to work with those types of guys again. So what is it specifically that you kind of do for GSMSG? I mean, you know, you gave the title or the, you know, so what, <laughs> what specifically does that entail? Look pretty. Uh, no. <laughs> no, look uh, cool. Yeah, look cool. No, I actually, so I will do a lot of the, um, we get a lot, some sponsors. I work with the sponsors. I help Aaron with, uh, preparing the uh, POI, our, our, our instruction that we're doing. Um, I help um, basically the logistics of getting the teams to and from uh, the training sites, all that type of stuff. And then, of course, with my medical background, I assist whether it be in, a, uh, in the clinics or whatever the case may be or teaching uh, the different uh, mark, mar- march, march algorithm um, you know, and that's, I just, I instruct with the rest of them and yeah, know, I mean, like, just like Jack of all trades. Yeah. If you don't mind jumping in here, I was going to say, so basically when we have, um, actually let me just kind of like touch on two things. So one is like GSMSG is more or less kind of the, like a home for veterans who want to go into the global healthcare scene. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, domestic us side ones, right? but, uh, as far as when it comes to international global healthcare and global humanitarian aid, uh, we're pretty much the magnet for that. And um, part of that is that a lot of the big name groups that you think of will specifically reject the veteran population. Um, we've put out some emails, honestly, because I didn't actually believe that at first, but then we got some feedback. And I think one of the word for word response was your military background besmirches our image of impartiality in a conflict theater. So some of these big name groups view your military background as a huge detractor and i remember getting some heated argument with one of these jokers saying are you kidding me like who do you think is more qualified to provide that humanitarian aid in iraq some dude who's deployed there eight times or some yuppie kid who's never left the country out of you know bumfuck idaho right so i mean you know and you know i take i look it's like those organizations their loss um because we find huge value in the veteran population and Byron definitely touched on that. I mean, you know, 18 Deltas are a really good example where you got these guys who are extremely highly qualified. Um, I can tell you as a surgeon now, like, some of these 18 Delta guys are as talented as we are. I mean, they could do surgery. Um, but they get back to the U.S. and their qualifications sometimes don't translate to crap and they're left, you know, on a like an ambulance transport service moving geriatric patients between retirement homes. Right. And it's a massively depressing thing. It's clinically been proven to cause PTSD um, and depression. Um, But then they get on our teams and you get folks like like I said, you know, Byron, these guys um, where, you know, they get a good sense of purpose. They're in the team setting again. They get to deploy overseas um, doing legitimate work. And so it's 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 a huge boost if you talk to literally anyone on our team. Um, you know, like Byron said, it's like you're almost back in the movie. You're it's you're back in back on scene. It's 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 as much as you could possibly ask for. Um, so, yeah, that was my little tangent there. As far okay, the whole reason I even went on this tangent. So, um, so like for example, what Byron and the teams do, <laughs> um, 
like on any given team, we'll usually have uh, several components. So one is the surgical teams. One will be the primary care physician teams. One's going to be the nursing or it is the nursing team. And the other um, one of our more specialized groups is the military trainer teams. And so within that, that's something where, you know, someone like Byron can lead that leads that team. Um, you know, he makes sure that they're where they need to be doing what they need to be doing with the supplies that they need. And that way the medical folks can really focus on training, you know, but Byron's the guy that makes it all run smoothly. So, um, so that's why, you know, leaders and people who can, you know, work with people and, you know, you know, be the cowboy wrangler when they need to be, you know, that's why people like that are <laughs> critical. So, um, well, and you, and you have a built in security system right there as well, because you've got trained guys from the soft community that are right there, you know, doing the work. And so these guys who better to know what they're dealing with yeah. and yeah, exactly. I mean, so, you know, in kind of go on that point, just, I'm going to try not to go on some long tangent here, but like the point, <laughs> Like that is, I think, what makes our group unique in that, you know, you look at, for example, the U.N., massive amounts of their budget go to, plus, you know, just bureaucratic overhead. But even yeah. when you get on the ground, I think for every one medical professional they can put in the field, they have like several arm, uh, armored vehicle convoys. It, like the outlay for most of these, inter- I would say if not all, international aid organizations to put medical professionals in the field is massive when it comes to just trying to protect them. But then you have our group where every single person in the group um, can suddenly shift gear and be on a, you know, a robust defensive posture. Like you're not, you don't have to suddenly call in a QRF or something like we are the QRF. I mean, mm-hmm. you get guys like Byron, it's like, shit, it's a fan. All right. Our team is now a very strong defensive postured team. So, so yeah, it's uh, I, I would say in terms of that, we are very unique when it comes to international aid groups. Yeah, very smartly done too, considering the theaters and where you are. Uh, that's a, that's a great way of doing it and trying to encapsulate both because, like you said, otherwise your budget would get sucked up. You wouldn't have any, you wouldn't have any funds left. Uh, you know, right. for the people that are donating. Mm-hmm. And, right. and Nikki, how was it that you even found out about GSMSG in the first place? So I think it, I think it was Instagram again. I was saw it, it somewhere. It? Yeah. Social somebody media is posted working. about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was for some reason, I don't remember why I got really interested in that region that they were working out of. And I think that bounced me into someone reposted him or I don't know what happened, but um, I was like, well, what's this? And this is when I was active duty. So I've, I've known Aaron for a few years now and um, he invited me to, to, basically interview and come talk to him. And I just, it was like Byron was saying, I mean, what attracted me was it's a very, you know, strong veteran association uh, with their organization. And, and then after retiring, you know, you're, you're kind of lost. You just don't really know. It's just like you said, you know, you're just all of a sudden it's, it's over. I mean, I literally woke up the, that Monday and was like, what, what do I do? <laughs> I, You've I, had no shortage of finding things to do though, Nikki. I, well, well <laughs> I, but that, I think that's what happens is you find all these things, you pile your plate up with all this, this crap, you know, and now I'm at this point where I'm, I'm weeding through that and I'm, I'm really figuring out what I want to do. And I've always known that I wanted to um, deploy with them and, and go, uh, on one of these trips. I just couldn't before when I was active duty, couldn't get away or get that time or permission. Um, but now this is, you know, the opportunity to do it. And I just, I like what he's got going on and I really believe in it. And, you know, like you were saying, there's a lot of organizations out there you have to be really careful with when it comes yeah. to the international aid. 
and not really knowing that world or, or about it, you think everybody's good and everyone's doing great things. And then you, you take a peek behind that curtain and it's mm. like, Oh, okay. That's not what I want to be associated with. So, um, I've done my research and I've, I've always liked what, what Aaron has started and, you know, I, I believe in it. So I'm really excited to, to be part of it. What an interesting journey though, and a path Aaron that you chose. I mean, the fact that you had all the international work prior to going into the medical field, you know, you would have thought that it would have been maybe quite the opposite. You'd have gone the medical route and would have been then put in situations um, where you would have been involved in international relations or something of that nature that got you into this field, but it was quite the opposite. And so it's a very unique story because now what you've done, like you said, uh, or even what Byron said, is you've taken that passion that you initially had and found a way to couple that together with your medical experience and create a wonderful organization helping the world out there in, in a program that doesn't exist like this. Very commendable. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, pre- I appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, it's, I guess, a nice way to put it. I just kind of look at it as there is a huge void when it comes to global healthcare. Um like Nikki said, you look behind the curtain on a lot of these organizations and you're mostly appalled and shocked at what they're doing. I mean, um, you know, there are groups out there that may or may not be well-intentioned, but they're running around without qualifications. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, frankly, no medicine is, uh, you know, better sometimes than bad medicine. I mean, uh, like an example of this is <clears throat> you have patients who may be you know, terminally injured. And if you are not qualified to really provide care, you may literally be prolonging, you know, some horrific suffering um, rather than just realizing or, you know, coming to the recognition that it may be futile um, to do anything. And and in which case the real ethical thing to do is let the patient go because that is nothing other good, nothing good is going to come out of that otherwise. And so you have groups where people are unqualified to be providing care, literally essentially torturing patients into death. And it's, it's horrific or, um, or just in terms of, you know, fraud and funding issues. I mean, we as an organization strive and we are an all volunteer organization. So there is no personal profit motives in what we do. Whereas, you know, if I was almost say for all international aid groups, there is a business reason, um, for the people to be out there and also for them to not do training. I actually had a discussion with, uh, one of the, again, one of the guys I knew, one of the big name groups. <clears throat> and he asked, why on earth are you guys training anybody? Like, why, mm-hmm. why the hell would you do that? Um, and I was trying to tell him, it's like, well, that's how you create lasting impact. He's like, well, you're a fucking idiot. So, um, the reason he said, and this, again, this is a buddy of mine, but he was saying that the reason is if you look at a group, let's just say big name organizations are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars to provide, let's say, basic EMT-level care in Africa, for example. If you go there and you train the locals how to provide EMT-level care, uh, then you don't have a job. Your organization has no reason to be there. That's what a nonprofit's supposed to do, though, is work themselves out of, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, for these major organizations who have thousands of staff and their livelihoods depend on it, it is completely against their business interest to train anybody to do anything. So yeah. right there, there's a big reason why no one else is really doing much in terms of training. But I agree. Like, I think I put out, I think one of the first newsletters I put out with our group years ago was our whole point is self-obsolescence. Like, we, sh- the ideal outcome is that we are no longer needed in that location where we are. So, and then we'll move on to somewhere else. Because uh, unfortunately, I can assure you there's going to be no shortage of war, conflict, or, you know, people injured. So, 
Like, wh- what are we really worried about if we make ourselves obsolete in one area? So, so yeah, um, bottom line with this whole rant was that I agree completely with what Nikki was saying, that you get behind the curtain on a lot of groups and you realize it's not what you really want to be a part of. Um, whereas with our group, we try and be as transparent as possible to people who are, you know, I guess in the know. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to broadcast, you know, out to the general public, like where we are, what we're doing, whatnot. But, you know, I think the people that, um, you know, are involved, uh, you know, they can see the real effects of what we're doing. And, you know, and we are, you know, as a 501c3, our budgets are open public records so that, you know, anyone that wants to see where our funding goes is more than welcome to see it. So well, I, there are a lot of people that are going to be listening who are from the soft community. I mean, a lot of our hosts that are on our podcast here are from that same community. So of course they're friends and the extensions and all that. Listen, so they may go, okay, Hey, this sounds like something I wouldn't get involved in. So if they said that, what are the steps? How do they do it? Is it just uh, reaching out? Is it just as simple as that to start the uh, initiation process? Or are there positions and assignments uh, out there? Or is there more? I know I'm asking a lot of questions here, but is there more than one assignment going on at one time frame and deployment to a specific region of the world? Or how does all, all that work? Um, in terms of people getting involved, it's a lot of word of mouth kind of through the military communities. Um, I say also, I guess social media apparently works. That's how I got these two knuckleheads on board too. So uh, that works. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, if people reach out to the organization, we have people that can more or less screen for the qualified folks. So again, like word of mouth and personal connections is huge because, you yeah. know, if it's someone I know and someone I trust, then I'll trust their judgment as to who this person is. Um, but worst case scenario, just reach out through a website. Uh, we definitely have people that screen all of that very closely. So if someone applies with legitimate qualifications, um, we will then reach back out to them. Uh, we do have pretty large numbers, though, when it comes to applications. Uh, I would say for any, uh, let's say for a 40-person team or a 50-person team that goes sometimes, um, and those are just kind of like, you know, ballpark numbers, we've had up to 2,000 applications. Wow. Um but again, I would say I, I would caveat that with most of those people are not qualified in anything other than probably to play Call of Duty at home or something. Right. So, you know, <clears throat> I'd say Big we difference. do exactly. So we do screen for the highly qualified folks. And if uh, yeah, so if you're in the special operations community, um, you know, likely there are people that are in your special forces group or in your unit or something that are, have some affiliation one way or another. Or if not, just reach out to Nikki or Byron or you know other <laughs> other folks, and they will put you in touch with us if you if they think that you are a qualified individual. So, so what about as far as like uh, multi multi theater or multi uh, locations and stuff? Are you guys focused on per quarter going to a particular area or per <clears throat> year? Or how does that work? Yeah. So um, so we have opportunities in almost every theater um, or every I would say combat command for. Um, well, you know, divvying it up one way or another. So uh, there are opportunities in South America. Um, like I said before, we have opportunities to uh, train European partners. Um, Middle East, obviously, we kind of go fairly frequently to. Uh, we also have uh, positions or locations within Africa that uh, are available for us to go to. Um, it's just a matter of when and where we go at this point we're sending teams really at a rate of probably three or four a year um 
but as a, as an all volunteer, you know, nonprofit, we rely on, you know, donations, support. Um, ironically enough, because we have a primarily, you know, active duty or military law enforcement, you know, fire rescue following a lot of those donations comes through the combined federal campaign, um, which I'm sure your audience is familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it depend our our growth depends on the level of support that we get. Uh, that's really it. I mean, the more support we get from the community, the more teams we can put in the field. So that, that's what it comes down to. Byron, I'm curious in your you know since you transitioned out and you had some of the struggles that you were talking about. Now looking back on it in hindsight, what are some of the advice that you would give? And maybe Nikki, you as well, since you're very recent. To those who are separating that come from that same community, what are the what are the lessons learned that you can pass on? Because there's so many people that we all know. Part of the problem is not necessarily the regret or whatever. It's the sense of loss of tribe. It's that tough and transition. You know, you go from focusing on single things to now all of a sudden having to focus on uh, a multitude of things, a crying baby or having to find work or, you know, possibly losing a loved one or whatever the case may be. It's very difficult and challenging at times. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, when there's an old saying in the military, your, your plan is only as good until the first round is fired. Um, I got out of the military, thought I had a solid plan and bam, I was in the middle of a divorce all of a sudden. And everything that I had planned for and everything that I thought was going to happen didn't happen. And it was, you know, being honestly the, the best advice I can tell you, there's there's nothing wrong with a veteran seeking help. Um, it doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a woman, a soldier, airman, whatever, sailor. It does not. It does not make you any less. Um, if you are having issues with PTSD, which can be anything from uh, flashbacks, bad dreams, uh, night terrors, you know. Um, you know, reach out, uh, your veterans, your brothers, your sisters to your left and to your right. They're still there for you. Uh, you can pick up that phone and call them, talk to them. Uh, don't suffer in silence. As we say in the special operations community, when you leave, there's, there's no reason for that. Um, you know, uh, 99% of the time, actually probably a hundred percent of the time, uh, if you pick up a phone to call your fellow veteran, whether it would be Nikki was never in the army um, and nor was Aaron. But if I picked up the phone and called them, I can almost 100 percent guarantee that they have suffered or gone through the same things that I've gone through um, or am going through if I in that moment, um, you know, and and be active. You've got to be involved uh, in something, something that uh, you like, uh, something that keeps you fit, uh, and and something that puts money in your pocket. And and you know those three things. And if you can do one thing that does all of them, more power to you. Yeah, but, you've hit the you know, holy grail. Yeah, you've hit the holy grail. But you, you've got to be involved. You know, sitting at home, uh, moping around, and thinking about you know. You know, looking at all the things that you did and look how cool you you once were doesn't do anything for anybody yeah. <laughs> except create worse. Find that thing again. 
Uh, and joining an organization like GSMSG is is going to give you back some of those things I would think that you're missing that you just described. And and not only that, but you're working alongside to your left and right in this case, soft members who've been there, done that. You're going back perhaps even to an area that you served in that where a lot of that came <laughs> yeah. back at, you know, and, and some of that, some people I know that have gone back that have ha- actually found that very cathartic, you know, they're able to mm-hmm. solve some issues that they may have had when they came away from that. I've definitely had like a number of our veterans say that exact thing where um, let's say they were in Mosul or, you know, somewhere in Iraq or Syria or something, and they lost a buddy over there for them to get back over there uh, on one in one regard for them was, the ability to carry on the legacy of their brother, you know, mm-hmm. like they were carrying on the mission. So for them, that was, ma- that was massive. I mean, you could tell night and day, these guys were like sad before they get on the team with us and it's like a different person. It's amazing. Um, and then similarly too, we've had other guys who are, you know, part of, uh, like civil affairs or something. And they, you know, they work with these communities and then they come out of the military and they, that community that they worked with in Iraq or Syria or Africa, you know, this is a chance for them to re-engage with these populations that they almost made a second home with, you know. So, um, so yeah, it's exactly what you're saying there. Sorry, sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, it, well, I literally was just talking to Nikki about this today. <laughs> and I lit, like, when we landed um, in the area that we were operating in the last trip, and I, uh, we got off the aircraft, and I, my stomach literally sunk because I looked over um, and I literally, and I, I, I get choked up now thinking about it because it was so emotional for me because I was sitting on a corner launching rounds from that exact corner. And I'm like, holy crap. And then I remember like holy our shit, drive. The same exact and area? Sing- yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And I remember driving to one of our locations for training and what was a police station once was another a different uh, facility and it was where we would stay and we would get attacked. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, and you just get that that weird. It's just like this surreal. But it was it was exactly what Aaron said. It was like, holy moly. Like, I'm coming back. Like, you see these. It's, you feel like the old World War II veteran on D-Day. Like, you know, yeah, I was right here. And I, I saw this. And I went here. And, I mean, obviously, it's still a war zone. But you know, you're like, holy moly, I, where I once brought so much destruction and death, I'm now bringing peace and prosperity and health and wellness to the very people that, not that I was fighting these individuals, I was fighting the people that were oppressing them. Yes. Um, and, and it was, it was surreal. It was, I have to tell you, it was absolutely wild. I, I think that's really <laughs> cool. Uh, really amazing too. I mean, because Again, so many guys, especially within the soft community, they come back, and that's part of the struggle is they feel like they're not with their buddies. They're not still in the fight, and their buddies are still in the fight. And so it may have right. been that they're, they're discharged for medical reasons. It could be of something of that nature. They're still, you know, from the military standpoint, they may be broken. They can't serve. It's a young man's game. I get it. But in this kind of world, like you guys are doing here, you're giving them a sense of purpose back that that ailment or that reason that separated them from the military doesn't mean that their skill set is not still applicable within GSMSG doing the thing that Absolutely. they were doing. Yeah, so it's 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 really good for everybody involved, and I and I gotta believe it it can help a lot with post traumatic stress as well. Yeah. Oh man, gonna, absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna say one other thing too. Um, 
you know, going back to the thing that I touched on a while back where, you know, how we're the only group that's actually saved active duty, you know, active U.S. personnel lives in theater. Another way or reason or whatever you want to phrase it as for the guys to get involved with our group is that this is actually an opportunity to still save active duty lives. I mean, like, let's say you came out of seventh group or something. We may deploy one of our med surge teams to an area where seventh group is currently deployed. And there's a real world chance that you may end up saving the lives of mm. guys in seventh group. It's just, it's just an example. You know yeah. I mean? Like, so, you know, it's not even just helping all the people locally. It's literally a possible chance to re-engage with what's going on on the ground. So, I mean, yeah. well, I think GSMSG is unique in the fact that, and having come from that role to world in the military, um, it really mirrors that. And it's, you know, I don't, think any of the other organizations are are doing things like the damage control surgery and the resuscitation like like they are so once again you know being a veteran and coming from that world this is what you know it, this is something that you're looking for and then again we you know don't see each other every day or you know byron and i we just know each other off the the instagram and just talking on the phone but I can guarantee that, you know, when you're when you're a veteran or when you're you've been in the military, I already know how he's going to be like. He knows he probably already knows what my work ethic is going to be like. I know what his is going to be like. I, you know, I, I already know what I'm getting into. It's like I've already, you know, worked with these guys before because we all kind of have that same uh, mind frame. So you're in the Navy. It's a <laughs> I knew that I was mean, coming. Yes, yes, I'm. I know we're better, but it's okay. I mean, I can deal with you. Oh, I love it, Aaron. Where can people learn more about GSMSG? I mean, we've talked about it, and I'm sure there's a lot of branding that goes along just with those initials. But when somebody's looking for you out on social media, like we already talked about, or want to get involved, or even want to donate, how's the way they can go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, I would say uh, just go to gsmsg.org. That's you know our main website. Um, if they want to get a sense of kind of what goes on with our teams and whatnot, um, the photos honestly on Instagram are a good kind of window into what these uh, teams have done or will be doing or are doing. Um, <clears throat> beyond that, uh, reaching out uh, through our website it will let us uh, connect them to someone um, that has the same background. So for example, uh, with the 18 deltas who were on our upcoming team, we had them get in touch with all the rest of the 18 deltas that are already in our group. Um, some of the like physical therapists out of the coming out of the military, we put them in contact with the physical therapists in our team who are from the military, you know, from the army. Um, so it's a reach out to us. If we, if we, uh, see your qualifications and we'll reach back out to you, and put you in touch with, you know, folks with your background who can really relate to you and kind of really fill you in. Um, in terms of donating, um, they can do that through the website. You can do it through our Facebook page, which frankly is a little better because Facebook doesn't have these like premium charges on donations. Um, or, you know, like I said, if you're in the military or you're in the federal government, uh, it's, it's right now is the combined federal campaign season. So the best thing, you can do in terms of that is mobilize your unit, mobilize your office, and just you know donate that way. It's gonna, it's it's something that's going to happen anyway. So why not have it go towards an organization that you know you believe in and have uh, you know something in common with? Um, and then beyond that, you know, our needs 
because we aren't, you know, we're a human capital organization. We rely on the expertise of people like Nikki and Byron. You know, our needs aren't giant, you know, 20 foot containers of supplies. You know, what we would need are, you know, logistical stuff like vehicles or, uh, given where we're going, it's, you know, body armor, uh, you know, night optical devices, uh, stuff like that. It's essentially, the same gear you used while you were in is the same stuff we use now depending on where we're putting a team. So if you have that gear, even if it's a single set and you want to donate it and get a tax write-off because we're a 501c3, we can give you a tax write-off for, you know, the full market value, whether it's your old used SUV, as long as it still functions, or, uh, you know, if you got some nods laying around, um, or if it's, you know, equipment, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where, that's where uh, our uh, needs are beyond the, you know, the expert bodies that come with us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really it. Like I said, you know, the experts uh, in our community are the same experts from your community, and we will put you in touch. But if you're still active duty or, you know, federal uh, government, the uh, combined federal campaign, which is right now, is probably the most effective way for you to channel, you know, donations and funding. Aaron Byron, I really appreciate you guys coming on and sharing you guys' backstory about how this all started, and of course, uh, Byron, you sharing, you know, the transition and the struggles because I think it's real. Um, and then yep. I, I think it's also real for people to find a way, like an organization as yours. Uh, GSMSG to try to get connected back with their veteran brothers and sisters and find some way to connect with a tribe or something of that nature where they can still use their passion uh, to do something good in the world. And and I appreciate you guys and applaud you guys for what you guys are doing. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks a lot. Thanks for giving us the uh, time. Yeah, appreciate it.